0: The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct.
1: Hey, what's up, everyone? It is episode six of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We have a pretty jam-packed episode this week. First of all, the intro beat is my rendition of um, the Drum Club project. So we just met this week for our latest Drum Club project, Hang. The track was contributed by Gunnar Olsen. It's called Platform. I believe that song is going to be available for purchase with his version of drums the complete form soon. But, you know, we we all downloaded the track by drums and did our interpretation. That was my interpretation. You can see the kit back here. Nothing's changed. It's my uh, Bucks County Bop kit with a 12, 14, 18. The snare is a 5 x 14 Ludwig Chrome over brass, which is featured in the metal snare drum shooter that we'll get to here in a minute. But anyway, if you want to join the drum club project, it's pretty simple. Just be on the lookout. Make sure you follow drum Factor Direct's page and Big uh, big Fat Snare Drums page. Once a month, roughly, we put out a new track that you can download and you just put, you know, download it, play up to it, you can cut it up, you can add layers to it, whatever you wanna do with it, just upload it to Instagram and tag our accounts and then you'll get a link when everyone is done and we'll get together and just talk about how we each approached the track. It's pretty super fun, it's pretty stress-free, um, it's just cool to get ideas, you know, with with mic placement and mixing, and sometimes we just talk about whatever. So uh, it was super fun to do that this week. Special thanks to Gunnar Olson for supplying that track. Yeah, check it out. hashtag The Drum Club Project. Man, some major major news this week. I was uh, a bit blindsided by the announcement that Roland had purchased DW and all of its intellectual property, which includes, I believe, it includes LP. Some of the distribution for Gretsch, I believe. Um, it's pretty massive. And then some other, um, other things in there that I'm not... There's some electronic things in there, but pretty wild. I'm, I'm, g- I'm going to save my, um, my commentary on this until a later date. I'm actually going to be appearing on the Drum History Podcast next week, I believe, to kind of go over this whole idea of consolidation in the drum industry. Um, I've seen a lot of it in the past 18 years, 20 years, actually, at this point, almost 20 years working in this industry. But, you know, I'm just curious how it shakes down. I kind of can see reasons why it'd be good and reasons why it'd be very concerning. But I'll leave it at that. So I'm sure you've already heard about it. I'm curious what everyone thinks about the fact that Roland, an electronic company from Japan, a major, huge company, purchased the number one acoustic drum company, In the United States, at least, DW, that's pretty, pretty interesting. So we'll see how that goes, but more on that later. I just mentioned the Drum History Podcast, which is part of the Drum Click Network, which this show, Drum Candy, is a part of. I'm wearing a t-shirt for the Working Drummer Podcast, so make sure you check out that show. And then the other shows to check out on the network are The Big Fat Five with Ben Hilziger. I can't say Ben's name right. Ben Hilziger. Ben Hilziger. What is wrong with me? Anyway, Big Fat Five, super fun podcast. Sarah Hagan backstage, super fun podcast. Incredible guests. Um, check them all out. So you got Working Drummer, you got Big Fat Five, you got Backstage with Sarah Hagan, you got the Drum History Podcast, and you got this one. It's all over on the Drum Click. So if you're not checking it out and following, I also say check out a lot. I think I might get a t shirt that says The Drum Candy Podcast. Check it out. What is going on with me? Anyway, uh, make sure you follow the instagram page for the drum click we post some behind the scenes stuff i'll be doing something here from my my recently updated studio today which is thursday and you're seeing this friday or later We're talking in the past anyway <laughs> go follow the drum click on instagram if you want some behind the scenes stuff on how all this stuff works what else we got going on uh big fasten air drum just designed and released a t-shirt that is a going to be a um a fundraiser to help with Jeremy Berman over at Q Drums and also John at uh, Revolution Drum. Um, they still need help getting through their, their cancer treatment here. So the guys at Big Air Drum are selling these t-shirts. I believe all the proceeds are going to their two separate um, GoFundMe campaigns. So it's a cool shirt. If nothing else, you get a cool shirt and you get to help two of the nicest, um, sweetest dudes in the industry get through some hard times. What else we got going on? Oh, I heard from a few of you about the Drum Factor Direct 5x14 seamless aluminum snare drums that you purchased. So far, all the feedback has been great. I'm glad you're enjoying them. Please keep me posted on how things progress, with different head combinations you might use, which of the snare wires you end up settling on, um, how you're tuning it. Shoot over some photos, videos. I want to see these, these, these things out in the wild. So shoot them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. Like I said last week, we do still have a few of these drums left, so if you want to get one, it's essentially, I mean, it's like a superphonic with brass tube lugs. You know, it's got, you know, upgraded sort of a little bit brighter sound by my comparison and confirmed with a few of you who've gotten back to me about this. A little bit brighter than a, than a superphonic, but not so bright to be not in that world that seamless aluminum super versatile world so go go check out the dft seamless aluminum snares over on drumfactordirect.com and keep me posted on what you think of the drums what else is happening um oh i've got a note here to remind everyone about the drone factory direct youtube channel it's slowly growing we finally reached our 1000 subscriber milestone but that's just the beginning so if you're only listening to this show in audio form every episode is uploaded in video form i'm also taking the different segments so the interviews that have been chopped up into 15 or or half hour segments they're being compiled into the full enchilada uploaded separately um All the lessons are uploaded separately, Um, all the shop talks. So if you, you know, the the show gets kind of pieced out into micro episodes over on the YouTube channel, plus a bunch of other exclusive stuff. So go subscribe to the channel, much appreciated. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. Make sure you've subscribed um, and feel free to share this page on your Facebook page or wherever else. All right, what else do we got here? Oh, let's get to some new releases first up the the great modern metal band Lamb of God, you know I mentioned a couple weeks ago they're putting they're going on tour and they've got a new album coming out. They're also putting out a behind the scenes documentary of the album making of the album Omens. That is streaming uh, premiering on October 6th. The album Omens comes out on October 7th. They're already on tour. The tour started last week on September 9th. So yeah, um, be on the lookout around October 6th if you're into the the behind-the-scenes making of documentaries, which I personally love. I love to see musicians in the studio kind of forming what ultimately becomes the records that we all love. So check that out. Check it out. It's the making of the album Omens by Lamb of God premiering on October 6th. One of my favorite bands, the Joshua Redman Quartet, featuring Brad Meldow, Christian McBride, and the great Brian Blade on drums. They got back together for the first time. I guess they put out a record in 2020, but they got back together again to put out an EP. This EP is called Long Gone. This is, for me, this is by Beatles, which I talk about with Throck and Tom Went when we do the 10 Reasons to Love Brian Blade, which should be coming out in a couple weeks. But this band to me is my Beatles. This was my entryway into jazz. And Brian Blade will forever be my favorite modern jazz drummer. It's a great record, great band. Again, it's called Long Gone. It's just Neepy, but it's still chock full of just amazing musicianship. Go grab that or download that or stream that now. That is the Joshua Redman Quartet Long Gone featuring Brian Blade on drums. Just saw that previous Drum Candy guest Ulysses Owens Jr. is on a record. It is the Generation Gap Jazz Orchestra. That is, I mean, it's a large ensemble with Ulysses Owens Jr. on drums. Really great contemporary modern big band style, large ensemble stuff. Christian McBride's on this as well. John Fitchock, amazing trombonist. Um, yeah, a great record. So it's, it's labeled under Stephen Fefke and B. John Watson present Generation Gap Jazz Orchestra uh, featuring Ulysses Owens Jr. on drums. This one's pretty hot off the presses. We won't get the record until November 11th, but um, the amazing drummer-composer Dan Weiss has a trio record. He is calling a dedication, and it says, Dan Weiss pays homage to formative influence in influences and loved ones on a brilliant new trio record it features his longtime trio with bassist jacob Sachs, a uh, bassist thomas morgan and pianist jacob Sachs. i got to preview this while i was taking a walk the other day it's it's pretty remarkable it's it's familiar and totally fresh all at the same time dan sound is just super clean and precise and confident um yeah so when that comes out november 11th make sure you snag that I'm going to try to get Dan on the show. Like, I might have said that before, but it might be time to do that. So anyway, go go um, have a listen to that. It's called Dedication. Come down in a few weeks, there'll probably be some previews being released, some singles and things like that. It's called Dedication by Dan Weiss Trio. All right, I have a few more releases to go here. The Bad Plus with Dave King on drums. The revised ensemble used to be a trio. Now it's a quartet with guitar and sax. They put out a new song called Not Even Close to Far Off that is available to stream now. They're going to be playing some shows throughout, and the, the record comes out September 30th. So if you're a fan of The Great Dave King and The Bad Plus, this band sounds similar but totally different because now it has saxophone and guitar without the piano. So yeah, go, um, go have a listen. Not Even Close to Far Off is the new song by The Great Bad Plus. Another previous podcast guest and fellow Pittsburgher, uh, Giuseppe Capalupo, is on the new Devil Wears Prada. They have a video that's streaming now for the song Broken, and their new album, Color Decay, comes out today if you're listening to this on Friday, September 16th. Um, that's, you know, if you want to hear some just insane modern metal drumming, go have a listen. The video, Broken, I believe, is streaming everywhere. The album, Color Decay should be available everywhere as well. We've got another previous podcast guest, Ray Luzier, is appearing on. What is this? There's a there's a video and there's also a record. So Dalzot Saint Marie. Not familiar with that artist, but got a pretty all star group here with corn drummer Ray Luzier, bassist Elliot Larango, who plays with core Taylor. Billy Howard and Dorothy. Corey Taylor is the singer from Slipknot. Billy Howard is the guitarist from A Perfect Circle. Um, and it also features the guitarist from Kesha's band, Nick Anise. The new track is called Nothing Left to Lose. Ray Luzier on that. If you want to hear him do something that's not corn, Ray is an absolutely, insanely versatile, amazing drummer. So it's cool to hear him appear on you know, these more kind of sideman tracks and how does he approach the song. I mean, he's amazing in corn as well, but you know, he's just one of one of the best in the biz. So go go! I want to not say check it out. Go have a listen to "Nothing Left to Lose" featuring Ray Luzier. And last but not least, so many so many great records coming out here. Taishan Sori Trio, which I believe I had talked about his new trio record a few weeks back. There's a new release. This is the Taishan Sori Trio Plus One featuring Greg Greg Osby on saxophone. The record is called The Off Off Broadway Guide to Synergism. That comes out on October twenty-eighth. Taishan Sori, again, if he's at the, the top of the contemporary modern jazz. I mean it's hard to even describe what what it is just contemporary improvised instrumental music. Um, He's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Go, So go have a listen to that. That's the Tyshawn Story Trio Plus One with Greg Osby. Comes out in a few weeks. It's the Off-Off-Broadway Guide to Synergism. All right. This is part two of my hang with my former podcast co-host, Mike Johnston, where we are going through five different 5x14 metal snare drums that are all Ludwig style, meaning they have a center bead and flanged edges. There was a a chrome over steel, chrome over brass, chrome over aluminum, powder-coated aluminum that was eight lugs, and black nickel over brass, which had two lugs. We got through a few of the drums last episode, so we're going to wrap it up. Our blindfold test of those, and then our commentary about which ones we think personally like best, and then the big reveal of which ones are which. So here we go. This is Metal Snare Drum Shootout with Mike Johnston. Uh, I'm trying right. to reserve my guesses because I don't want that to be the point, but let's go on. But I think the one before was the Acrylite. That's the only one I'm going to go on the record and say drum number two is the Acrylite.
2: All right. I <laughs> I can tell you right now I haven't quite found one where I think that's got to be the the Black Beauty car. That's got to be Black Nickel over Brass. Mm-hmm. Um, So I'm still kind of confused. And I also haven't found the Rocker yet. Like, unless it's number two, which you think is the Acrylite, I'm like, when does the – Seventy-five dollars snare show up. Like, I'm, I'm sure I can hear that, but so far these all sound pretty good. All right, on to the next one.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, a little little secret to the rocker that I got that drum because Shannon Far said, "Get a rocker, you won't be disappointed. It will become your favorite snare."
2: Wow. Well, yeah. And that throws that. Out. <laughs> well, I can't. I, I'm hoping the rocker's point. Pointage. P o i n i j. All
1: right. Hot wave. Drum number go. four.
2: I All think, right. I think you're messing with me. I think three <laughs> of these are the exact same drum. <laughs>
3: nope. <laughs> okay.
2: So on the high tuning, I thought this was the the acrylite. That okay. sounded that sounded really dry to me in the high tuning, but it didn't it it didn't uh, give off acrylite features in the medium and medium low, and so. And, and you know what? Acrylite features in my head are all invented. It's just like, oh, you just need that dry sound. But in reality, I don't think I've ever seen anybody play an acrolyte without nine pounds of tape on it anyway. <laughs> right. So how do I know what the hell an acrolyte sounds like? I've got one and I, I still use the the vent I've got i I've got two blugs on mine. So um, so yeah, so I don't know. That that one's tough. I, I found it to be um, it had a little bit of the squirreliness in the overtones just a tiny bit not as much as drum number two um but once again it it just uh, this is turning into mush and maybe that is the point of this episode is like <laughs> maybe we're freaking out a bit too much over th- where it, it doesn't really matter yeah um i don't know what, what did you feel this drum i felt was
1: what i would consider the perfect metal snare drum <clears throat> i just said perfect balanced and pure not too long not too short not too bright controlled but not choked perfect
2: yeah, I mean, I gotta kind of go with you on that because it, like I said, when I heard the high, I thought, oh, this has to be the AcroLite," but it wasn't choked, it just didn't have a ton of overtone, you know what I mean? Like it was a mm. full snare wave file without the overtone. But then, when the and that's when I thought it was an AcroLite. then when it got to medium and medium low, it actually opened up and came to life and was just pure and beautiful. And that's when I was like, wait, maybe this is. The nickel over brass but i didn't think that in the high so <laughs> <laughs> all i know is snare drums suck <laughs> i'm selling all of mine did we say this were we
1: recording when you mentioned that you tuned higher so for you it doesn't really
2: that was in a, a voice note that i sent you where i was oh, like okay you know i just I, or maybe it was at the beginning but i don't think we were recording it and it, it was yeah, maybe the reason I don't think there's much difference in the drums is because that difference shows up in the lower and mid-low tunings. But when when you kind of crank the drum up, pretty much it, they kind of all do sound the same. And even if they don't sound the same, what I've noticed, especially now, you know, over a hundred camps deep of doing these snare AB tests with campers, is that after about three hits, you just take on that snare you know Mm. it's like man it sounds like a snare it's kind of like a pedal when you get on somebody else's pedal for the first time it feels like the most foreign thing ever and then about a half a song into it your foot has kind of figured it out and it's just a bass drum pedal um Mm. and so i kind of feel like that with these snares especially when we're dealing with similar sizes same heads and the most important thing i think would be the drummer i've i've shown in clinics i've brought people up on the stage to show how different my kit sounds when four different people play the same groove. So with you being the one to play it, just like you had talked about, you know, in our old podcast about how being in the room with Steve Jordan, as soon as he hit a snare, it didn't sound like the same snare you hit right before Mm -hmm. him, you know? So I think a lot of it as crazy as this comes down to us and the care that we put into each note strike. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely hear little tiny differences, But you know what I haven't heard yet is I haven't heard a quality difference where I thought that drum sucks and that the others are good.
1: Mm -hmm. I will. So you you can see in my kit back here. But after this extensive metal drum extravaganza, I went with a deep six and a half solid maple drum. Yeah, you did. You want to go with it was like, whoa, there's a whole different animal. (laughs) Yeah, totally different. So that. Yeah, I mean... But then it becomes normal. Like you said, I've been playing it for two days now, and it's like, oh, this is what a snare drum sounds
3: like.
2: (laughs) You know, you and I did... I mean, God, we did 250 episodes, so we talked so much about snares because it's the one thing that I think all drummers can mess with. Like, we always keep our kits, but we get new snares, and we try out new snares, and I I think if you have a great... And by great, I don't mean expensive. If you have a reliable metal drum that you love, a reliable wood drum that you love and then maybe a couple size options you're kind of set you know um because it's going to come down to can you tune the drum properly do you know how to tame the drum if you go into a session where they just say look that's just too much do you know what to do do you understand the drum and go no worries i can handle this um you know like a floor tom when somebody says can you do something about that tom do you know what to do or do you mm. just start turning drum keys <laughs> just right hoping yeah. that you'll land on the right spot um You know, so yeah, so I think that um, so far I've been really blown away just by like they all sound fantastic. All right, you ready for the last one?
1: Yeah, I don't know how you say this. I I think that might be Chinese. What is that one?
2: Wait, (laughs) (laughs) it's Q P O I U Q W.
1: That's our last drums. Check it out.
2: Oh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) all right.
1: all
2: right last drum that's the ludwig rocker (laughs) yeah that's your least favorite of the five it's you know what it is it's the drag that you do into your bass drum it sounds cheaper to me somehow (laughs) i love it i I, I I hope this is the drum i just spent four hundred dollars on i hope it is No, I'm and I'm going to gonna
1: send it to you for Christmas.
2: I, I'll buy it. If this is the drum you just bought, I'll buy it from you for what you paid. <laughs> just to make up for me being a douche and calling this drum cheaper. But I, I don't know. There's something about that drag that it's not activating the drum the way everything else was activated when you played the lower notes. It's it's like it's the you know the analogy we used to use about the Marshall amp that you have to turn to 10 for it to do its job. I feel like this drum did its job when you hit it but all the other drums did their job in in the little drags and the ghost notes in between the backbeat. So, oh god, if this is if this is anything over $150, I feel terrible, but well, it just proves that They're all the same. But that <laughs> well, drum stuck out to me.
1: That what are my notes not as beefy or full as the others, bright, not too ringy. And a question mark may be good for recording just because of all those factors, not too much low-end to deal with. Not my favorite,
2: though. Not my favorite. Well, then I hope it's also not the drum. (laughs) There might
1: be a drum for
2: sale here soon. Let's see. I'll I'll wire it to you. (laughs) I can always use one more on the shelf, and then we'll be like, is that the drum that you and Mike didn't like? That's the one. Uh, <laughs> I, but, I, I mean, it still sounds fantastic. It's just, there. Was, I don't know, there was something where all the other drums sounded incredibly consistent in their quality, no matter what volume you played it at. And for some reason to me, at the lower volumes, this drum just felt like the drum wasn't being activated, which I associate with cheaper steel shells. So, we'll see.
1: Oh, uh, some notes about the construction. The steel shell is rolled. The- okay. Actually, the Black Beauty knockoff is rolled. But I did a comparison but with that Black Beauty knockoff with an actual Black Beauty. They were absolutely identical. Really? So that's why I didn't buy the Black Beauty, quite honestly. Because I already had this. And it was like, there's no way anyone could tell the difference. But that, those are both
2: rolled and welded. The, the other three
1: are seamless.
2: Okay. For what it's worth. All right. Now, when you were watching, I mean, when you were recording this, obviously, you knew which drums you were playing. And you told me... You were pretty stoked on the Black Beauty replica, right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: and I played them in a vacuum, like the day I I posted that Instagram post just kind of goofing off, I put the Black Beauty replica up, and was like, this is the perfect drum. Why would I even care about anything else? But doing these tests, it wasn't, that wasn't the one that, as I was playing, it was like, this is the one I would pick.
2: Oh, really? Okay. Okay. The one I would pick was the Superphonic. And that's chrome over aluminum.
1: Correct. 10 lug chrome over aluminum. Classic drum. For whatever reason, that was like, okay, this is the drum I would take to a gig today.
2: Okay. So should I open the (coughs) video files?
1: Yeah, let's go through the video. All I care
2: about is number five. (laughs) I'm going straight. Uh, Chrome over steel. (laughs) Was it? (laughs) Yes. It's the rocker, baby. (laughs) Woo! Oh, hot dog on a <laughs> stick. I honestly feel like I can keep my job as a, <laughs> as a teacher. <laughs> I don't care about any of the other
1: ones. Oh, shoot. Which one did I say was the acrolyte? The yeah, number two.
2: It. Number two. And that's, that's the, the acrolyte. acrolyte? All
1: yeah. right, then. So wow. Then we, so we have one, three,
2: and four. Okay. So Which one did I say was perfect? I said number four. Number four. And that's the black nickel over brass. Is it? Yep
1: dang world max black nickel over brass killing always And
2: the chrome over brass which is what i play in gretsch that's my 70s snare is the one i said just had the most pure overtone it was just like it was just a flawless drum um and man okay so there's so a, there is a little different <laughs> let's okay. go in order drum number one mm-hmm. was
1: the chrome over brass that was the one that you liked the most right Yes. Okay. There we go. Good thing Gritch offers that.
3: <laughs>
1: number two was the acrolyte, as I had guessed. Number yep. three was the superphonic. That's funny. Which makes sense because I wrote short decay with full sustain. That's what I was hearing as I was playing it as well. Okay. Uh, number four was the perfect drum, black nickel over brass. And then the last but not least, anyone want to buy a rocker? I've got one for sale. (laughs) Wait, is that the one
2: that you just bought?
1: No, I just bought the Chrome Over Brass.
2: Oh, the first one?
1: Yeah, the one you can't have.
2: (laughs) Uh It looks like it has the olive badge.
1: Yeah, it's one of the B-stock, so they cut the serial numbers off of it. Okay. That's a little tip. If anyone's looking for one of these drums for a couple hundred dollars less, look for the B-stock because it's only a blemish in the Chrome, there's nothing wrong with the drum itself.
2: Wow, that was a four hundred dollar drum, drum.
1: brand new, never been played. Four hundred dollars versus I think regular they're like seven hundred dollars for like a an actual serialized one.
2: Especially if you're not like a super drum nerd, that I mean, that drum was just pure, pure. So the question is,
1: why do I have five of these drums, and should I have five of them? Okay, we don't even
2: have to a- answer the second question. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you know that my snare wall's out there and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I have twelve snares in here, including <laughs> a
4: Uh-oh.
2: sixteen by one. Oh, that you need for
3: sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dog. <laughs> what? <laughs> um so I've, I mean, I've got a, uh, a Rogers Dynasonic in here. I have the the drum that I spent $1,000 on during our stupid-ass podcast to, to prove <laughs> that stave drums sound like ass. Um well, got, you love it. I, I've got a Doc Sweeney 14 by 65 uh, Gretsch uh, Bronze uh, Broadcaster and then uh, the drum that uh, my, oh, my wife yeah. got me on your suggestion. So anyways... We have these snares because we're nerds, but I need to ask you this: How much is a Ludwig Black Beauty fourteen by five? They don't do five and a half, do they?
1: No, it's five or six, or and, six a half.
2: and a half. Okay, so five is what? Probably around a
1: seven, eight hundred bucks for a you know an actual serialized one. B stock are harder to come by; they're going to be seven, you know,
2: six, okay. seven hundred. And then the one that you have is—is is that from Drum Factory Direct? We do sell those. It's
1: called the Black Dog Shell. Um, And we do actually, I think we can get the full drums made out. So this is, I'll show it up here. Now, funny, there's something I wanted to mention. Some of these drums I would only use in the studio because they're unreliable for tuning consistency or the throw-off. Okay. This throw-off that comes with this thing, I had to swap. The original one that I had, it would pop off. If I had a rim shot, it would just disengage. Really? So I had wow. to go to the warehouse and get a brand new one of these. Okay. So the, this drum doesn't go out often for that reason. I can't have it popping. I don't know if this new one will hold better, but if you're going to get one of these, make sure you get the upgraded actual like Ludwig-style throw off, not this World Max thing. Okay. It's not my favorite. Got it. Got it. Same thing with the... Um, the AcroLite, it'll just detune too quickly mm. if I take it out on the gig because it's just eight lugs and it has those bow tie things. Like, it was hard for me to get the high tuning on that drum. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the the chrome over, over brass, and I was instant like, yeah, I could gig with this every day for sure. Yeah. It's built like a tank.
2: <clears throat> wow. Well, I mean, if I can tell listeners this. I have a 14 by 5 chrome over brass, brand new from Gretsch, and it is awesome. Love it. But I have a 1970s stop sign badge that I got from a a drum shop that I was trying to support in Ireland. And the guy was like, you know, are you sure you want this? It's pretty trashed. And I just said, the more trash, the better. Because I just got rid of my vintage kit, you know, about a year and a half ago now. And I have a brand new kit. And... It drives me nuts how new it is. (laughs) It looks like my dad took me to the music store and he was like, pick out a drum set, son. So I'm telling the campers, like, bump into it, knock (laughs) some stuff over. Um, So this 1970s chrome over brass, you know, you and I have talked about it before, but I don't think that metal ages, obviously, the way that wood does. But I don't know if the alloys were different, but it does sound different. Um, and it's I mean you're looking at maybe 300 bucks for a 70s stop sign badge chrome over brass Um, and then would they have had a I'm assuming there was a chrome over brass back in the 60s and 70s with Ludwig
1: mm, there was a or there was it? a they stopped making it was called the super Ludwig that's what it was called okay I think that okay. came out in the 60s I'm not sure don't don't flame okay. me in the comments, but yeah. That was called the Super. The Super Ludwig okay. was a chrome over brass, but the thing is to find a vintage one, $1,200, 2000 okay. It's like the most ridiculous. Aside from the engraved black beauties, it's like, why, right. why is this stupid? Because there just weren't that many of them. Sure. Um, famously, yeah. I think John Bonham said he never played a chrome over brass, so probably just... Hurt their sales back in the day a bit. Thanks, John. <laughs>
2: Thanks, John. We we're gonna make a push, but it's all good. Don't worry about it.
1: But it's a killer drum. I mean, yeah. I'm I've been wanting one because I have I have a Rogers chrome over brass power tone. I have another chrome oh, I have two Slingerling chrome over brass, but I don't have a Ludwig. And it was like I know I'm missing something. So I just bought it. That's the one the one drum I had to buy for this. This well, is an expensive episode. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. <laughs>
2: The good news is you get to keep it because it was awesome. It was awesome. Now, before we wrap everything up, the one thing that we or most people never talk about when they do things like this is the feel. And I think the feel of a drum is almost as important as the sound of a drum because if it feels good when you play, if you get lots of rebound and almost makes your strokes easier, there's just like a pleasure to playing the specific drum. Did any of them feel different? Or do you remember? Uh, well, no, because, so this is an important thing, which I'll follow up in a later episode. I
1: put identical hoops on everything. So that kind of removed some of of the character. Like the acrolyte oh, had 1.6, thin, okay. like thin 1.6. The so, Superphonic had 1.6. So they just felt softer originally. Right. The The rocker I had heavy-ass diecast on. So that Got was it. just designed to just punch you in the face and get out of the way. So it just kind of and the black nickel over brass had die cast on top and triple flange on the bottom. Okay. So I had kind of already tailored these drums to give me a feel that I thought they wanted to have. Once I put the same hoops on everything, it was it came down to what is the strainer doing? Like is really? it is it holding the snares or are they starting to loosen up as I go like that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: But they all just f- they all felt identical.
2: Wow. Not. wow. Wow. So the shell property probably doesn't have a ton to do with how mm-hmm. the drum feels
1: heads hoops and the strainer. The strainer is is I think maybe the missing link because the um, the chrome over brass because it's brand new it just it took a minute to get it and it has this is something I don't like so I'm gonna show this. This is the new Ludwig throw off and okay it, it clicks. Oh yeah yeah. so when the wires are on and you're trying to quickly change it it's not the most fun thing. Okay. So that was, which was weird because that was the one that lost tension. I think literally because it was brand new and it just never been used before. And same thing with the old Superphonic because that's an old one. Yeah. So wow. the throw off was the missing link. So we'll go into that sometime later. Do, should we like do our top picks in a row here to make sure that you don't want to buy a
2: black nickel over brass? <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly considering <laughs> getting one off of your guys' website because, um,
1: Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com.
2: Like I said, I have the Ludwig Black Beauty here. I like 14 by 5.5, and, um, and I know Ludwig doesn't offer that, so um, my top pick is still the crumb Over Brass. As soon as I heard it, I was like, i I don't know how we're going to improve from this. Um, Number two for me would be the black nickel over brass. Um, Once again, I thought it sounded wonderfully dry in that high tuning, almost like, ooh, I just got an acrylite out of a black nickel over brass. And then once you went to the medium and medium low, then I was like, oh, that drum has come to life and it has so much body. Um, From there, I would go to probably... Probably the Acrylite just because of its funkiness. If I needed something to just be a little kind of quirky, that would be my drum. Then from there to the Chrome over Aluminum, for whatever reason, the Superphonic, I just didn't dig it that much. Um, And then the Chrome over Steel... It, you just you can't be dragging on a chrome over steel. It can't handle it. I knew it. It just can't handle the drags. Yeah, um, but if I was drug. like you said, if I was going to hit the snot out of it, I'd throw some diecast on it, and it would be perfect. Just the backbeat snare. It'd be great. I thought all of its backbeat sounded fantastic. It was all the ghost notes and the drags in between the backbeat that I just felt didn't activate the full drum.
1: What about you, sick dude? I mean, yeah, I'm happy. I have two superphonics now. I'm like, hmm. But that was the one that, as I was playing, it was like this is the drum. So I don't know, man. Yeah. I it, I think it's just it's every day which drum. The what confirmed for me was the Black nickel over Brass is better in lower tunings. That's kind of where it
2: excels. And, and you know that could be one of the reasons why I've never identified with a Black Beauty is because I'm almost never down in those tunings. I'm always somewhere between where you were, where your high tuning was, and your medium tuning. I'm in between those two all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, just, you know. The end. there's no way to get around the fact that, like, the Gretsch boy has some bias where it's like, <laughs> I don't want the Ludwig to be better. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to say, that chrome over brass, I don't know if I've heard a more pure, like you said, that that pure overtone could, it's so pure, it could get in the way of things. Obviously, you could put, you know, two pieces of gaff tape at the top and tame that down. But to me, it was like you can't poke any holes in that drum. That just sounded so pure and so perfect. It was like, it was kind of the metal, you know, dream snare as far as it will never embarrass you. No one's going to be like, that drum sucks. It's like, dude, it's pure. It's beautiful. Um, I was shocked on that overtone, especially like when you played it. I listened to it in my car, then I listened to it on AirPods, and then I listened to it with you with my in ears. And that drum, every time I was like, Oh, that's got to be the that's got to be the black beauty copy it's so perfect but so and it, i mean it, you know it go. is what It'll it is there will be a mike johnston and chrome over brass signature drum in the works is that what we're saying here uh, <laughs> i am not saying that they're powder coating one right now
3: uh,
2: <laughs> cuz i mean how do you make it sound better you powder coat it matte black um, there is a uh, snare that i get to introduce to you that's coming out at uh, at PASIC. So, Sick. Yeah. All right, then. So I'll keep you posted on that, keep you posted on the uh, on the matcha company. And, uh, <laughs> dude, it was fun to do this, man. I learned a ton. Uh, let me end the recording here. So, yeah, we done. Thanks for coming on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, and for anybody that ever missed the first time I was on this show or missed when Mike was on our podcast, we have always had an amazing relationship behind the scenes. So, you know, unfortunately, we never got to end the Modern Drummer podcast or the MD podcast the way we wanted to. But that it never had anything to do with us personally. We've always had a great relationship behind the scenes. And I, this whole thing started because I reached out to Mike with a, a truly serious question about some things. And we just started talking about, like, you know, metal snares. And why does nobody else do a nickel over brass and or a black nickel over brass? So, um, yeah, man, it was a blast being on. And, and it's funny that we can go, you know, a year or two without doing a podcast together. And it's like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Listener questions. What do we got? Here yeah. we yeah. go. <laughs> Someone's in Poughkeepsie. Let's go.
1: <laughs> so maybe we'll have to do it again when I get into hoop world. We'll see. I think that's going to be the most biggest mind blower for me. Count me On. in. Because we have so many different types of hoop. We have no flange. We have single flange. We have double flange. We have 3.0 triple flange. Man. We have brass. I mean... I'll do it with
2: you if I mean if you and I both pick the same snare I'll just buy all the hoops from you guys and we can do it together because I that's the one thing I am the most interested in I think I can make any snare drum eventually sound like a snare drum I'm interested in what gives me the best feel like what do I enjoy playing the most I'm gonna be playing this drum you know more hits than any other drum on the kit what makes it feel good to me Mm mm-hmm you know, a good friend of mine, Dave's Rock every time he sees a single flange with clips, he's like, I can't, I can't get with that. I'm like, but you haven't played it yet. He's like, I just can't get with it. I'm like, all right, cool. It's, it's such an oxymoron for me because of how much I love the look of it. We tried that on my signature snare, and as soon as I hit it once, I was like, okay, cool. So can you guys send me some double flange, some triple flange? Some... I was like, it, it looks, it's okay. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Single flange with claws is the Leica camera. Of the drum roll, because the best thing you can do with a Leica is take a picture of the Leica with your Fuji or your Sony (laughs) or your Canon. That is the coolest thing ever: is to take the picture of your Leica to show the world that you have a Leica. But then it's like, well, why don't you take? Why don't you use the Leica to take pictures? It's like it's not as good as the Fuji, to be honest. (laughs) The Fuji's a tenth of the price, and so I feel like that with single flange. If I'm going to take a picture of my snare, I want single flange and claws. If I have to play it throwing those things in, uh, not in the trash, but I, 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 I'm with you, man. uh, We'll try it. We'll try it out. We'll try it. All right.
1: To be continued, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Now I'm going to hand it over to Tom went again to wrap up his interview with the modern modern day legend, great jazz drummer, um, historian, educator, Kenny Washington. So let's uh, part 2 of Tom went hanging with his mentor, Kenny Washington.
4: You know, so 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 for 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 drummers who who aren't really familiar with that stuff, you, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years. But I I want to I want to I, I wanna hear you talk about this. I think a lot of younger drummers, when it comes to rudimental practice stuff like Wilcox Wilcox, and a lot of them think that. All that stuff does for you is increase your speed, but it does so much more. Could you talk about what else you get out of working on stuff like that other than just faster hands?
5: Yeah. Yes. In a way, it will increase, in, increase your speed. But the, thing, the other thing that you all maybe are not realizing is it, it, it improves your two-hand independence or your two-hand dexterity the coordination between your two hands. For example, you're playing a single paradiddle, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, well, your right is doing something and your left is not. Left, right, left, left, well, your left is doing something and your right is not. So to play that rudiment evenly, those, those are the first steps to two-hand independence, way before spang-a-lang and playing the figures with your left hand. Mm-hmm. This is the first – these are the first steps, the, the basics, man. Doing Wilcox and, and really working it out helps your sound, the sound you get on the instrument. First of all, you become even-handed. If you work on the stuff enough, you become even-handed. Guys come to me for lessons, or I see guys out here playing. They'll play the right symbol one way, and then the left the left hand is like playing pianissimo. It's uneven, man. The sound is uneven, that's not the way Philly Joe Jones and Art Blakey and those guys played. And there's some knucklehead out here on the on the internet saying, well, the, the snare drum doesn't play as loud as the as the right hand, that's wrong, man, mm. that's wrong. It's an even sound. Now, with the left hand, there are different dynamic levels, that there's different dynamics and things that they play depending upon the rhythm, the articulation, That's that's something else again. So it was very, but all in all, when you listen to Philly Joe Jones, man, or any of those guys, or i AT, any of the badasses, when you listen to them on records, you can hear that they have an even sound between their left hand and their right hand. I saw these guys live and it's the same thing, man. I mean, you know, it's not like somebody boosting them up on, you know, on the the record. Uh -uh. It's the same way live. So anyway, this stuff helps. Your two hand independence. It helps your sound. It helps your sound to projection. Because, man, listen, man, they got people out here that are playing. Listen, man, I live in Brooklyn. They got guys out of here that are playing. They're in Manhattan that smoke, and I can hear them here in Brooklyn, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, hear you. really loud. And all these drummers, you know, all the play loud, man. And the thing that you drummers have to remember is. The louder you play, the less the sound projects. You know, you you you, you know, you go into these clubs, man, like Smoke or or, or, or Smalls or, or Mesros, these drummers banging the drums like gorillas. Mm. And then the people, the audience, the paying customers, they're the ones that are sitting right by the drums. And and they like and they're doing just like this. They're sitting up there and their eyes are they're doing just like this. <laughs> because you play playing loud. Or if they're sitting up there near the table, they're sitting up there with their elbows on the table like this. Right. That's not supposed to be like that, man. But then the funny thing is, when you get to the back of the place like Mesros or even the Vanguard you know, or that that little way going towards, you know, where the telephone you sure. to be going into the men's bathroom where the ice machine is.
4: Yeah, right by the kitchen.
5: Yeah, right by the kitchen. You can't hear the drums at all. But the- meanwhile, when you get up on the drums, the, 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 the drummer, whoever he is, he or she is, they're getting a harsh, ugly sound out of the instrument, man. I mean, this is, you know... You know, they're sweating and everything and all this kind of stuff and the sound is not projected. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I realized when I first saw Elvin Jones. Now I didn't see Elvin Jones with John Coltrane. That's a little bit from before my time. I was a kid at that point, but one of the things that impressed me the most when I was able to go to see Elvin on my own was, man, this kid didn't play that loud at all. That's what got me. Yeah, he had a nice full sound, man. I mean, yeah. you could sit right by the drums. Now he always played dynamically, man. Of course, but even when he got loud, it was a it was a pleasant loud. It was a fullness, and he's playing them drums from the bottom to the top. Mm. And you, you know, see, so it wasn't like you, you, you know, you, you know, flexing <laughs> <up and> out. <you're, laughs> <laughs> but it was a full sound, man. And then when you got to the back, another spot to go to is right at the back of the bar, right by that wall. You know where that design is? That mural. Yeah, the
4: mural. Yeah, yeah.
5: And, yeah, that, that tells off. You get back there or where the kitchen is. Yeah. Still a nice, full, nice, full sound. Nice, even hand between left and right hand. And all this comes from practicing these rudiments, practicing Wilcoxon. I'm yeah. guaranteeing you, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This is this is where it comes from. You so, know?
4: so uh, along those lines, I, I, I wanted to ask you about you know drummers. You know, we can we can make or break. Uh you know a gig, as far as you know how how we're playing the room, so to speak yep. when you when you get to a new venue, a venue that you're not familiar with, maybe on the road somewhere, what are some of the things that you're listening for at the at the at the sound check or during the first couple tunes how How are you assessing the room so 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 that you can blend properly
5: well, that's a great question, and man, I used to play loud, man. Until Mel, Lewis, until, until, until Mel Lewis got on my ass,
4: right? Mel Lewis
5: jumped all over me, man. You know, I mean, he just he just went completely nuts on me, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, and and then and then he invited me, then he invited me to his house, man. And he says, "Young man," he gives me his car. We have a lot of work to do. And I came up to his house, man. And the, when I walked in the door, the first thing out of his mouth was. He says, young man, you want to be a success in this business? I said, well, yeah. He says, you have to learn adaptability.
3: Mm.
5: You have to learn adaptability.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And for the next, man, I got to his house about 7.30 in the evening. I didn't get out of there until maybe about 3.15, 3.30 in the morning.
3: Mm.
5: You know, because, man, I mean, you know, he could talk, man. But you know he knew a lot of stuff, man. And I was speechless. He was just sitting up there playing records that he had made. Mm-hmm. Color Me Barbara, Barbara Streisand, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Ali Oop. Oh know, yeah. Rock and Roll records. uh yeah. On all those records, Jesse Belvin, uh, Mister Easy,
4: Mister Easy, yeah.
5: Um. Then he played. Then he started talking about. The differences between playing with Ray Anthony's band and playing with uh, Stan Kenton's band. Yeah, and he got in, and then and then he was playing. You know, the West Coast things, Marty Page, and I mean, you know, and man, I was knocked out. By the time I left his head, I felt like by the time he by the time I left his his house, my head felt like it was going to burst. <laughs> I mean, you know, and the first thing he told, and of course, one of the first things he told me, he says. You play too goddamn loud, man. He says, if you can't hear everybody on the bandstand, you're playing too loud. It's your fault. Mm. He said, he says, if you can hear, he says, you don't need monitors and all that other BS. He said, they're two funny, funny looking things on the side of your head, man. <laughs> Those are your monitors. Mm. He says, if you can't hear the piano which is on the other side of the stage or or, or, or the the stage, wherever you're at, you're playing too loud. If you can hear the piano clearly, if you can hear the bass and you can hear the saxophone or the trumpet, the front line clearly, you're playing the right dynamic level. And if you can hear them, that means the audience can hear. You know, see, so, so, see, so when anytime I come into a club or 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 a uh, or a uh, a hall, you know, of course, these knucklehead engineers they want to set up all their mics, which I can't stand. But we need this for this, and you know, I said, "Listen, man, let me." And then they're gonna do what they want to do anyway.
4: Oh yeah, always.
5: I said, "Look, man, you know what? I run it here. You ain't nothing but a peon of a sound man." I, I said, listen, man, I run it here. It's my sound. You think I've been pra- waking up seven o'clock in the morning every every morning practicing so I get a sound, man. that You know, I mean, <laughs> I right. get an argument, you know, with them, you yeah. know, but 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 the thing is in like a hall or whatever it is. First thing I do is like I walk in and I can almost tell how I'm going to have to play. Mm. What 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 tells you that? Well, I mean, you know, the room, the, the 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 ceiling, the height of the ceiling. Sure. Sometimes, you know, you play in these big places. I remember playing in a theater. I can't think of the name of this this museum. Was it, Yeah, it was a museum.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Playing in it with Charlotte, man, and and uh, you know, of course, all you had to do is hit the drum. Wow, you know, the sound is all over the place. Yep. So, so I go in there. And I'm saying, oh, okay, I see what I'm going to have to do. It's a challenge to me.
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You
5: know? And 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 so for me, what I do is I'll, you know, at the sound check or whatever it is from the first note, man, if I can, like I said, if I can hear the piano, I don't need any monitors. If I can hear the piano, I can hear the bass. The, the bass could play acoustic, man. It wouldn't right. matter to me, you know, uh so that, you know, we don't need these mics. We don't need, I hate sound checks, man. It's a waste of time. I could be home watching Law and Order, practicing, or listening to records, or taking a bath, or doing something I want to do, man. That sound check is not for me. It's for those guys. It's, it's, for, it's for the engineer. He should know the room. He's been in there for 10, 15 damn years. <laughs> I don't need the sound check, man. I know what I got to do, man. Why waste my time? I hate sound checks. It's a waste of time, man. But, you know, everybody- I got it. I got it. I got <laughs> it. Man. That's the rock and roll is man. I don't play rock and roll. Damn, man. You know, but in it is. <laughs> I know everybody's going to think, man, this guy is crazy, man.
4: I he think they've sense. been thinking that for the last 45 minutes, but that's all right. That's all right. Keep going. Keep going.
5: <laughs> but-, <laughs> but, but but But, you know, so. It's a challenge to me. This is why I get in these different rooms, whether it be smoke or all these different places. And see, the audience, they just think drums are loud. Right. And then sometimes, man, sometimes there'll be people that, you know, they, they're not real jazzers, you know, and they might be pissed because they're sitting right by the drums because, man, we do not oh, yeah. hear anything else, man. Oh, man, it's just <laughs> crack, you know. Lips all poked out and everything, you know. But then when I start playing, then they, been some of them say, "I never knew the drums could be played like this." They're right. <laughs> I was playing loud all the time, you know. And so, so the other thing is, when I'm playing at one of these places, especially like in a, it could be like in a museum or a wide open space, when I'm sitting up there playing, I can, I I can feel myself in the audience. It's like I can actually see myself in the audience sitting up there just like this.
3: hmm
5: I'm listening from out there. Yeah. Yep. Is it all right? You playing too loud? you know, I'm sitting up there, I'm gauging myself and how I'm playing with this band. Yeah. Sitting up there, I can it's almost like and I'm telling you, you might y'all might think this is crazy, but I can actually see myself with my arms folded, just like this, sitting like say near to the back of this uh, of the in the audience.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Carnegie Hall could be anywhere, and I'm sitting there like this. I'm playing the drums, but I can see myself, and I can hear back there hmm. what it is like. Yeah, and if it passes the test, well then okay, I'm straight. Yeah, cool you know instead of because i hate loud drumming you know i never did loud drumming you know
4: no i I hear you man i hear you um Let's just let's just switch gears one more time. So, you know, for 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 a lot of younger, a lot of younger drummers who 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 get into this music, the 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 topic of, of transcription and transcribing is something that 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 is is talked about a lot. But I think, as I know you do, a lot of them go about it in the wrong way. Could you could you talk about if a young drummer hears something that Max or Philly Joe plays? How do you go about figuring it out and learning it the correct way?
5: Well, first thing is this: if you go through the Wilcoxon book, a lot of that stuff that Philly Joe Jones and Max Roach and Elvin Jones and Jimmy Cobb, all those cats play it you know it comes from that book. It comes from that book because wilcoxon. Was very much into the early drummers, the guys like Baby Dodds, yeah. uh, Big Sid Catlett, Cozy Cole, Cole, Chick Webb. Cozy yep. Cole is the one that introduced Philly Joe Jones to uh, modern rudimental swing Souls because he had a drum studio along with Gene Krupa in the uh, in the in the, the fifth in the early fifties. Yeah. So, uh, so what happens is. From that book, you can, you know, of course, the way Max and 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 uh, Philly Joe played this stuff, they taken it a step further. They know that stuff, and Max Max taught Philly Joe mm. that yeah. book. People don't yeah. realize that, but Philly Joe used to come to Max's house here in Brooklyn for help. Mm. Max could play all that stuff yeah so see, they both took that to another level man they took what they could from wilcoxson and they built on top of that so but anyway getting back to transcription learning that book and learning it the right way you can hear certain things that they play that come from that book and so you, you it's an experiment you say well man well sometimes you're listening and that's what got me into the book when i started practicing i said wow man that's how Philly Joe played that rhythm. I couldn't figure it. Ah, that's the sticking he used. But mm. so from listening, y- y- you know, you start you start sort of kind of like putting two and two together. Well, that sounds like this. The other thing is experimentation, listening, man, listening and copying or trying to copy what you hear.
4: So, so it's 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 fair to say that. The first thing you should not do is get a piece of paper and a pen.
5: Absolutely not. That's the worst way, the wrong way to learn any kind of transcription. I see that up in school all the time, man. Right. I come up in Juilliard, you know, when they had the juries, they have to know that solo by heart. Right. By the time of the jury. Okay. I've been up there sometime. There was a guy that's playing a Charlie Parker solo, and he sounded just like he was playing an etude in the book. And you know what? I walked up to the music stand while he was playing, and just somehow or another, my foot got <laughs> left in the music stand. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. The music stand falls and that Charlie Parker solo fell too. You know, he, he you know, he didn't play with he didn't play it with any of the articulation. We won't even talk about feeling or emotion, or you know the natural stuff. You know the attitude—that's the whole thing. The attitude, and so learn it by heart, man. Learn to sing it. Yeah. So learn how to sing it or play it a few times, you know. But do it because you like it, man. You know, not because you have to do it for you have to do it for an assignment because yeah. you learn it, man. Yeah. Learn it. A heart so you can play it, so you can play it by a heart, you know, be able to sing the solo, um, and, and, and then start experimenting, start experimenting, playing what you hear, trying to figure it out. See, that's what I did like with, with all those guys, man, especially Philly Joe and those guys, you know, you can hear them playing something, and I would sit there and try to copy it. And I would say, "Nah, that's not the right sound. That mm-hmm. sound, that word, man, is very important to me. It doesn't sound like that." So, well, let me try this sticking. Mm, nah, you try something. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's what it is. It sounds like what he played. And you try to fit, you try to figure it out sticking wise. And then you go to the next part and you should be able to sing. Like I said, you should be able to sing this solo. You should be able to play air drums, man. When you hear that solo, man, if you're out of by a set of drums, and you're on the train or on the, on a bus or something, you should be able to hear it up here in your dome, in your head, mm-hmm. play air drums and be able to hear what it hear, what it is.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You
5: know, and so and then you start experimenting, and and you know, and this, again that word sound. Wow, man! You listen to how Max Rhodes Max Rhodes would stuff that bass drum. Sometimes instead of pulling the, the beater out, he would the beater would stay in for for a certain sound. that you know, but you know, you know. You know. Then the next time he instead of instead of um stuffing the bass drum, or muting or, 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 or muting it, he would so that the drum would resonate different yeah. sound, man. Sure, All those guys do that do that same that you know that same thing, and so you listen to it and you experiment until and you try to get the sticking to the best of your ability. And then after that, now, if you're in school, it might be a school where you have to transcribe it. Well, then, well, I mean, transcribing bar by bar, the worst thing you can do is even, yeah, yeah, they have on the computers and everything, man, they have the thing where you can slow it down. That's cool. But the worst thing you can do is to just do it, transcribe it bar by bar because you're not learning it, you don't know it up here. That means that every time you play it, you got to look at the music. right. right know it. that means you don't know it. You you haven't even halfway gotten to it. It might look pretty on paper, but chances are, I can almost bet every CD and record I have here that you're not playing it the way it's supposed to be played. You're not getting the sound and the attitude. But after a while, after listening to it over and over again, feeling what it is and experimenting with it, with it You, you know, you put it, you know, you put it together. Now, it's time, now if you're in the school where you have to write it down, what should happen is this. By that time, you should be able to hear that solo in your dome. And matter, for those of you who know, when I say dome, (laughs) your head, your brain, your brain is in your dome. This is your dome piece up here. Everything comes from the dome. So, so it's true, man. I mean, if it's not up here in the dome, it ain't gonna come out here, man.
4: You got that right.
5: You know, anything you do, for that matter, right? So, but so so you, if you have to write it down, you should be able to look up at the sky and hear it up here, right? And write it down. I, I tell you, what else should happen? Just like um, the digital, was it? The, it was the NBC. Was it the NBC building? where they had the digital thing, that has the news.
3: Yeah, or, yep.
5: You know, that should go straight across your dome, straight across your forepiece, your, your forehead. You should be able to look up here, and those notes, just like the digital board, man, that you see in, you know, Forty Second Street. Yeah, those notes. Those notes should go straight across your, right across the front of your dome, right up here. You should be able to see it and hear it mm-hmm. and and write it down. Now, you might have to go to the record. Yep. You know, and of course you write it in pencil. I mean, yep. you to make sure you're doing it right. Sure. Which is cool, but you know, the way it, so that it looks right, but for the most part, you should be able to play that solo. You should be able to play it before you have even even written it down. And another thing about transcription, if you don't write down the sticking, it is not a drum transcription. Any knucklehead could write the notes down. <laughs> but, but, but the beauty of somebody like a Philly, Joe Jones or Max Roach or any of those guys is how they put... How they mix and match rudiments, of course. The stickings. How they put that stuff together. That's what makes Philly Joe Jones a genius.
4: You know the thing how that always put
5: that stuff together, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. Wow, man. The combinations. How how it works.
4: But you know? know the other thing about those guys that always blew me away is that all those. I mean, let's just take the fifties. Just just as just all those guys that played in the fifties, they were all speaking the same jazz dialect but they each had such an incredibly unique sound, man. And it's, it's, it's from those, those, those stickings mostly. Yeah.
5: Sure. sure. And I mean, you know, and of course it's Max Roach, man. I mean, Max, Max Roach, he created at least for modern jazz, the language, the sticking, he created how to adapt what Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Thelonious Monk, and Bud Powell were doing to the drum set. So, but he, but 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 you know, but he's well familiar with the swing era drummers.
4: He came out of it, yeah.
5: That's right, man. I could play you records of, of Max Roach, Roy Haynes, too.
4: Absolutely, where, Louis where, Russell.
5: Where, where, yeah, Louis Russell. Where where you would say. Whoever it is is swinging his ass off. He's a great swing drummer. They sound like very, very good swing drummers. Max, you know, uh Cluke, uh, Cluke is another one. You know, he played in Count Basie. He subbed for he subbed for, for 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 Papa Joe.
4: That's right.
5: He made records with Buddy Johnson. He made records with with Sidney Bechet.
4: That's right. Edgar Hayes's band, <laughs> of course. Edgar
5: Hayes' band. He did. He was on the original in the mood. That's right. He, they they predate Glenn Miller. That's right. Yep. yep. You know? but, but but you know but so so um, yeah man I mean um, what was I saying man I I lost the train of thought. Man.
4: We were talking about Max and how he developed like the oh, modern yeah, language.
5: No, he it, yeah, he he developed that modern language, and from that and and from there, all those guys in the fifties. Haynes, of course, Philly Joe Cobb,
4: Lewis Hayes,
5: uh, Lewis Hayes, the formula they took that formula. Max, I call it formulas. They had, Max had a formula. Well, Whoa. Philly Joe Jones, he takes that formula to a different spot. He he's got his own formula based on what Max. And we won't even talk about Baby Dodds,
3: Right.
5: Catlin and Cozy Cole. You know, it, it's like a relay race. Yeah. And, and and this keeps going and going
4: and going. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we we we're gonna have to do a part two because, man, we literally are on like the second thing I wanted to ask you about, and it's already been an oh, hour and
5: twenty man. minutes. <laughs> Damn, <I said>
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all good, man. This is exactly what I wanted to happen because you 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 always make sure to get your point across, and that's very important, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. So I tell you what, we'll 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 make this part one and then we'll we'll do part two in a few months.
5: Well, you want to do part two now?
4: Well, we I, got a split I, or what? Yeah, I actually have Uh-oh. a gig. I got an early gig. So I tell you what, man, we'll we'll
5: give me some money, man. Don't <laughs> hide. divide.
4: Hey man, look at all those records. Looks like you got some money in your pocket, man. Look at all that, man.
5: <laughs> I
4: don't know. I wish. Yeah, I, <laughs> I wish too.
5: For every one of these CDs and LPs, I'd be doing all right. <laughs> I yeah. tell you what, man.
4: You know, uh, before we sign off, man, what uh, do you have? Anything coming up that you want to let people know about? Any gigs? Any any recordings?
5: Oh man, I, there's this there's a band that Mike LeDon's put together. Man, we we made a record uh, about a month or two.
4: Oh, the heavy oh. hitters, yeah.
5: Oh, that, yeah, the heavy hitters, right. That's we're going to be at Smoke coming up. I think that's next week. Next, I think it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday.
4: Beautiful man, beautiful.
5: So band, the band, well, the, 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 some of the guys that made the record won't be on the gig, but it's still going to be a good gig. Vincent Herring, I think. Oh no, maybe it's maybe it's uh Jim Snyder on the oh, gig. Oh
3: yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Eric Ladon. I don't think Pete is gonna be there. It's this young bass player that's playing you mm-hmm. know, myself and, and Pell, Jeremy Pell.
4: Beautiful, man. And
5: and, and Ladon wrote some great music, man. I mean this is, I I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to this. And I certainly hope that the band gets um some more the band gets some more gigs. I'll be playing with Charlotte again in uh at the at the Vanguard for a couple of weeks in September. so beautiful. Look out for that too, I guess. And, and I have they, a radio show too, man. I have a new radio show coming up.
4: Yeah, please um, tell them about that.
5: Which one? The one that's on now, or or the, or the new one?
4: Both of them, man.
5: Okay. Well, the the first show I've been doing since Valentine's Day is the show on KSDS, which is in San Diego. You can you can check it out online. Um, and the show is called Jazz Across America. And every every weeknight, there's a different host that has curated the show from the jazz spots, shall we say, or the jazz uh, cities in America. Of course, not all of them. Chicago, uh, New Orleans, Kansas City. Uh, there's one or two others. I, so I'm doing New York. Mm-hmm. I'm basically playing live recordings from 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 the jazz clubs in New York Vanguard and Sweet Basil's and Boomers and also the, the the halls you know from 30s sure. and 40s you know and and I'm also playing a lot of rarities as well besides the the, the live things and then the other show will start um, coming up uh, man. So you have a, you good with calendar stuff, man?
4: Uh, sometimes. <laughs>
5: so, okay. Uh, today is the 10th. Yep. The show starts a week from, a week from Sunday.
4: Okay. It'll be on Sundays on KSDS?
5: Sunday, yeah. KSDS, yeah. and And so it's 8 to 10 Pacific.
4: And then your other show is on Monday evenings, correct?
5: Yeah, the other show is on Monday evenings. That's from uh, that's from uh, eight to ten, eight to ten uh, Eastern Time. So that would be what five to seven, five like to that? seven Pacific. Mm-hmm. So, so, but, but now the other show is called Sepia Voices, and it's and I'm paying homage to the great vocalists, great African American vocalists in jazz and blues so that's going to start sunday um not this coming sunday but the following sunday i don't have the. i don't have the i don't have the date but um
4: that's okay if they if they, if, yeah, if they search KS,
5: yeah, yeah look on ksds and they'll be able to tell you because i don't Beautiful. know what this is going to go on anyway it, you know but it's paying homage to the great african-american vocalists so you'll hear bessie smith sammy davis jr James Brown singing some jazz, Marvin Gaye singing some jazz, Sarah Vaughan, and you you hear Jesse Belvin and people like that. No one talks about like Ethel Waters, one of the great entertainers of all time, or an obscure figure like Rheta Hughes, or or uh, you know. So so there'd be uh, a lot of surprises, a lot of rarities, and. um, hopefully you'll enjoy it you know you'll enjoy that show so that's that that that's uh
4: beautiful man fantastic well fa- thank you so much for for taking the time and for uh, for imparting all of uh, all the all the great insight and wisdom man it's it's greatly appreciated i mean that
5: well thank you man i'm sorry that i took a- <laughs> oh man
4: that's okay I I, I kind of knew that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been knowing you long enough, man. I knew I knew that was going to happen. So I tell you what, we'll do we'll do we'll do part two in a couple cool, cool. months, man. Thanks, Wash.
5: Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Now continuing on our rudimental lesson series, this one is on paradiddles and uh, in particular I am exploring ways you can displace the paradiddles so you're not always starting them on the downbeat. Let's take a look. Displacing paradiddles. What is a paradiddle? A paradiddle is nothing more than a combination of two single strokes followed by a double stroke. Right, left, right, right, or you can do the opposite. Left, right, left, left. Now most often, there's an accent on the first note. Now you don't have to play the paradiddle always on the downbeat, one, E, and, uh, two, E, and, uh, three, E, and, uh, E, and, uh. You can start to paradiddle on the E, or on the and, or on the uh. Now how do you practice that? What I like to do is play a full measure of regular paradiddles, so four paradiddles as 16th notes. And then rest a 16th note in the second measure which will then start the paradiddles on the e do four of them rest another 16th note then you that'll make you start your paradiddles on the and and then you do four of them and rest another 16th note and then you finish out the four bar phrase starting the paradiddles on the A. Uh. and if you do it in the right sticking so this starts with the right in the first measure left in the second measure right in the third measure left in the fourth measure when you cycle back to one the whole exercise will repeat, starting with the left. Sounds complicated, but let's go one measure at a time.
0: One, two, first three, measure, just paradiddles. Four,
1: one, two, three, four, and then instead of continuing, you just rest one sixteenth note and start the paradiddles on the E. So we'll just do the second measure.
0: One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. All right, and then you add another 16th note rest, and then you'll start on the and. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. And then in the last measure, you start on the uh. One, two, three, four, one, two, three,
1: four, one, two. Let's do all four measures in a row, and let's see what happens.
0: One. Four. One. Two. Three. Four. One. Two. Three. Four. One. Two. Three. Four. One. Two. Three.
1: Four. One. Two. Three. Now you notice when I start on the downbeat, it's with the right. When I start on the E, it starts with the left. On the end, I start with the right, and on the uh, I start with the left. That puts the whole cycle back to start with the left on the whole thing. So we'll do the whole thing starting with the left. One, two,
0: three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four.
1: And that brings us back to starting with the right. So let's do the whole exercise. I'm going to bump it up a little bit, the 72. So it'll be four bars starting with the right and then four bars starting with the left, displacing the paradiddle each measure.
0: One, two, three, four. 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 Three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three,
1: four, one. It's not as easy as it might seem, or maybe that seems really difficult to you, but if you just take each measure isolated and just internalize, you might even want to put your metronome to play all the 16th notes. That way you can really make sure you're not losing sense of your subdivision. But once you get all four of these variations really strong, then when you start phrasing this stuff on the drum set, it won't sound like you're just playing paradiddles because you've got all this other offbeat syncopation to work with. So anyway, have fun with it and we'll see you next time. All right, here is the fourth and final part of my hour-long chat with Brandon Green uh, on the ergonomics and mechanics of drumming. This is the the final chapter, so we go into some last little bits. But how to make sure you're not hurting yourself or how to mo- how to set up most effectively, make sure you're using your body the most efficiently possible when playing the drums. This has been a really cool series for me, uh, making me re-examine a lot of stuff, um, starting with my drum throne, I think I need to invest in a new one, so I'll keep you updated on that. But for now, let's get to part four of Drum Mechanics with Brandon Green. Is playing the drums good for you or bad for you?
6: Yeah, man. Well, that's a good question. I mean, it's, you could... <laughs> You know, it's funny. It's, I remember asking one of my mentors this because I was like, hey, listen, um, and we were talking about symmetry for this whole course. It was like a, a year-long internship on symmetry and range of motion. Like, hey, listen, I do this thing called the drums uh, and it's asymmetrical. Am I going to die? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, no, there's lots of things that are... So truthfully, the drums are not bad for you. They're great because truth is if we position the drums in the right position, we're doing a lot of incredible things. Like from a health end, once we get this ergonomics thing figured out, I think it's one of the healthiest things that you can do as an instrument. Like of all the instruments, percussive instruments are so healthy. Because, I mean, if we think about all of the components of longevity, we're getting older. Well, what are the things that break down? Well, there's cardiovascular health. Uh, there's skeletal muscle deterioration. There's bone deterioration. There's lots of mobility and lots of speed. There are things that happen from an Alzheimer's brain deterioration perspective. Well, if you're practicing the drums and you're trying to challenge yourself a little bit, every single organ system, minus some digestive ones, (laughs) are involved. And that's super cool. I mean, this is where, there's a video that you've probably seen of a few old boys who are like 80 and 90. One guy on a piano, one guy on a drum set. And like, they both look like they got Alzheimer's. They both look like they got hearing aids, look like they're falling apart, but they're still playing music. There's something beautiful about that. Drums inherently... Just like all physical things have risk-benefit relationships, and that's why I want to even share this stuff with you and anyone that'll listen. Is as much as someone ever like, well, he's waffling a lot about anatomy and stuff. That I don't care about. You don't right now, but I guarantee that you will one day because there will be a day where we get older and we start to slow down. And I see this with hundreds of people in my business every day. And if we can get on top of that today this becomes the healthiest instrument. Because if you think about guitar players, I mean, they're not working their muscles. They're just, you know, doing this stuff. And sometimes their tongue gets out and that's about it. <laughs> Drums, we do everything. And I, I, so obviously I'm biased, but like taking it from the most scientific view possible, I think it's one of the healthiest instruments you can play from a longevity. And I think it's just awesome.
1: Let's switch into health and fitness for drummers, if you don't mind. So is there a, you know, if you had to give someone a, a- a daily routine, what should they be doing to keep their body in optimal shape to play drums?
6: Great question. I have two answers. And I will say that if anyone is checking this out and you're listening to the audio, find where Mr. Dawson has placed the video, because I'm going to showcase a couple quick things and it'll make it easier, but I'll do the best I can to be as verbose as possible with it. Uh, there's two things. So health and fitness and world fitness things for drummers. The first thing I would ask everyone is like, well, what is the goal of this exercise routine? Is this exercise routine intended to help you with playing the drums? Or are you thinking, hey, I want to work out and just, you know, grow my body, get muscular and get stronger, but have it also sort of lean back to playing the drums. Those are two different things for sure. And I would say I partake in both of them. On the drummer end, the most basic things possible. I would encourage everyone to think about what are the primary joints that you use when you're playing the drums. We don't have to think that hard to really think, okay, there's postural component like my back. There's a hip component because again, if you're watching the video, you'll see, right? There's a part where we lift our leg to play big bass drum strokes potentially. There's also a part with our feet that if we're playing heel down or heel up that we're doing this kind of front to back motion. There's some elbow stuff, a little, shoulder stuff, a little, and hand stuff, a little. If we break it down to the three simplest exercises possible, make it kind of super easy. Why I put my shoe aside? I need to wear this later, right? <laughs> the, the first one, which is surprisingly hard is actually a hip and core exercise and I, it's just hip flexion. So like I said a second ago, sit on your chair. Remember that active range of motion assessment we did where we pick your leg up to see how high your drum throne should be. If you're watching this in the future, we talked about that. You want to see where your drum throne should be. Lift your knee up as high as you possibly can and see how much range you have available. Well, that actual range of lifting your leg up As high as you can and coming back down if you repeat that 10 times anyone who's watching this sitting lift one leg up as high as you can come back down with some control your hip gets tired pretty quickly most of us do not exercise our hip flexors locally ever there are mostly not hip flexion exercises even if you go to the gym squats deadlifts kettlebell swings they're all kind of like glute posterior back centric so one pick that leg up and down controlled ranges do 10 to 20 of them Great way to work on hip flexion, working on a little bit of abdominal strength and maintaining that range for drumming. Two, if you don't have access to a drum set, I would encourage you to do, this is actually two exercises, heel down toe taps. Anyone that was ever in high school that sat there and you tapped your toe, you know how tired that shin muscle gets, that tibialis anterior. Working on the endurance of that thing will never hurt because building that up is going to help you do faster stuff, play longer. It's going to be great. On that same end, standing calf raises, very basic exercise, planting your heels on the ground, lift your heel up. That's a great thing to do. You could do them seated, but probably not enough resistance. So that's actually three exercises already. And then the last one, which is so basic, and I just did a YouTube video on this, but it's like it's insanely powerful, is take your hands on a practice pad or wherever you are and practice actually playing the drums just from the wrist. Now, we've all You know, every drummer is like, I play the drums, right? That's great. But pick some rudiments, set a metronome, actually, and accents and flams and diddles and all that stuff. Find tempos where you can actually do the stuff you want to do with your wrist on the pad and set time limits and actually do that. You can grab weights and bands and do all that stuff. But truthfully, if we're just on the drummer end, I'll tell you what, you set up a practice pad and paradiddles at 140 BPM, 16th notes, and you play strict paradiddles all from the wrist for a full minute, you will get way more tired than you think you will. And this builds large primary muscles up around the wrist. And if you're feeling super extracurricular, and this is an idea I got from Chris Coleman, a Chris Coleman Clinic, full disclosure, do it with the wrist, then try and do the same thing just from your fingers. So don't let the wrist move at all on the pad. Try and play just the fingers, rudiments. And if you want... The toughest one is play just from the thumbs and play actual rudiments just from the thumbs without moving the wrist because the thumb is a major fulcrum force managing force managing point of for all drumstick control, whether it's traditional or a match technique. So there's a ton of exercises. But I would say like those are the basic ones for drummers just doing body weight. And if you're like, hey Brandon, those are all easy for me, great. Take a little bit of a take some weights and tapes a little one pound or even half pound weight on the back of your wrist, do the same thing. And I do mean tape it. Put a little weight, put it on your shoe. Try and lift your leg for the hip flexion. Do the toe taps. All of those will be far more functional. Going to the gym, the simple thing I would say, like there's just, as you can imagine, like so many things to unpack there, but I would say one, make sure you're doing nothing that causes discomfort. And especially with a super bias, because we're drummers on anything, that we're going to play drums. If you're going to the gym, trying to bench press, cool, you're going heavy, cool, your wrist is kind of pinching when you're doing it, stop. We don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize that. We could definitely do a whole episode on just workout stuff for drummers in the future if you'd like, but on the body weight end, that's the best place to start for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could go down that rabbit hole, but let's not do that. Is there one strength training exercise that, let's say you're you're you need to get fitter, you're falling apart, is there one or two strengths or or cardiovascular exercises you would start with?
6: You know, it's so funny. Um, well, first and foremost, there's no best exercise if anyone ever asks. Um, but I would say the le- an exercise like from a health end, just broad health end that I have returned back to time and time again is actually a controlled reverse lunge. And the reason why over like a squat or a kettlebell swing is that when you do a reverse lunge, so a reverse a lunge is when you're on one, you're standing, and you step forward, and you kind of bring your one knee to the ground, and you keep your front foot flat, and your back foot's on your toe. I don't like the front lunges, especially for anyone who's a little bit older, if you're listening to this, like over the age of 55, 60, because there's a bit of a weightlessness and a catch. Reverse lunges, there's always a flat foot, and you can always eccentrically control the lowering. I've been coming back to reverse lunges for both of your questions, fitness and cardio, because one, you get to work on right to left strength. You see if you have any differences at all. And if it feels good, you can actually just set it for time. Set 45 seconds and go, okay, I'm going to go as fast as I can with this with control. And people get stinking tired super fast. And drummer bias, you're getting into a lot of ranges like that hip flexion range and slight trunk rotation that biases the drum set for sure. So I'm a big fan of reverse lunges if it's just a broad stroke paint roller fitness technique.
1: (laughs) Okay. We can wrap up maybe with any kind of diet or nutrition or, or pregame postgame rituals that you think would be helpful for
6: drummers. So I will say this first and foremost, I am not a dietary expert. I've studied a lot of it and I've got a lot of friends who are, so I do have some ideas that I'm happy to share. If any of you are like, I am eating and I'm having problems and I don't feel good uh, go to the doctor right away. And if I make a suggestion and you don't like how it feels, uh, this is just my personal opinion, not professional opinion. So I have nothing to sell you. But I would say a couple things. One, um, if you're going to prepare food before playing a gig, uh, one, don't fill your stomach up. As if you have like a full, full meal, there is a bunch of digestive fluids that are created and blood flow that gets modified to help support that enteric digestive nervous system. And so that's not great because it takes away blood flow and energy to other parts of the body. And if you get to that point where you are, we've all done this, you know, the the whole don't swim after eating for 30 minutes, same kind of idea. If you start playing an intense gig and you got a full belly, that food's just going to sit there and your energy systems are going to focus on the performance. So don't eat full. The biggest thing I do is I literally have a small meal, 45 minutes or uh, 45 minutes to an hour before I play, and I don't have anything else. Uh, I would not recommend alcohol, as you can probably imagine, but that's, you know, drummers are drummers, so that's a whole other thing. Um, type of calories, uh, I would definitely recommend if you do not have some sort of gallbladder issue or digestive issues to have a concentrated healthy fat with a small protein. Something like a third a cup of um, almonds Almonds and cashews uh, with a small protein source, like if you like eggs or a, a little bit of chicken or something like that, is a really, really great thing with a little bit of vegetables. Like my favorite is I'll have a protein bar or like a company called Good Fats. They're just healthy fat. And I'll have a third of a cup of almonds. It's light. It gives me the energy I need and I can go perform and have no issues. I am not a fan of recommending carbohydrates of any sort as an energy source, um, especially sugars, candies, and things like that. Because what will happen, depending on your insulin sensitivity, you'll get a huge spike of energy and then crash. If you've got a really good health, carbohydrate, healthy carbohydrate management system, then you can probably get away with it. But truth is, it does spike our insulin. It does modify our cognitive behavior in most people most of the time. So one, don't fill your stomach. 2 if you can, have some form of healthy fats, not a McDonald's cheeseburger, but like avocado, um, duck fat's even a good one, uh, bacon to some extent, depending on the type that you're having, if it's got like low nitrates in it, uh, almonds, all those kind of things, and then eat your heart out after the gig.
1: <laughs> mm. well, anything physically to do to wind down after a gig or is that a little bit mythical?
6: Honestly, truth is it's a little bit mythical. I would say the most best, like the most important part is, um, would be on the heart rate end is if your heart rate is super, super high and you're playing like a very, very intense gig, I'd recommend like not just walking off the stage and going and sitting. I would like recommend actually doing some walking to actually slowly bring your heart date, heart rate down and cool down just a little bit. Um, from a mobility perspective, the idea of stretching post activity is kind of a myth. If you like it, go for it. Truth is, it won't necessarily modify recovery. In some cases, it actually increase increases muscle damage. There's a great research paper by Brad Schoenfield that showed that doing stretches after resistance exercise actually created more hypertrophy, and the hypothesis was, was because it created more mechanical damage on top of the exercise. I'm a big fan if you have an area that gets tight, do some motions on it, like squeezing it, contracting it, like if your hip gets tight, do some of those hip flexion ideas. and yeah. Don't be too aggressive and also make sure you rest because most people do too many gigs in a row. And if you rest, give yourself a day or two, then you can actually feel much better for sure. Sweet. What
1: about hydration? That's my last question. How important is hydration?
6: Hydration is super important. I mean, it's, I, I'll, I will sound cliche with saying this, but, you know, having at least a liter half and two liters of water per day is huge. If you're someone who's not drinking water, the, what you'll start to notice is if you start adding it, yes, you'll pee more at the very beginning because your body's just not used to it, but you'll notice your energy feels higher because if you're in any state of dehydration whatsoever, it just decreases cognitive performance. And the majority of our cells, all, our entire body is made up of a ton of water. So the more we can do to replenish that and help to support ourselves, it's just huge. It won't give you energy like as a standalone mode, but I mean, listen, listen this is not my expertise, but anyone who's listening to this, drink more dang water. Come on. <laughs> like just, just have more water I've heard
1: like a gallon a day that seems a bit extreme
6: it's me, ex- just start with I two or three start turns. with two liters and then work your way up from there <laughs>
1: okay awesome thank you that was great oh, my pleasure Learned man <laughs> All right, I have a handful of listener questions here. If you want to send in a question, it can be audio form, video form, or just a text. You email it over to DrumCandyPodcast at gmail.com. I will either answer them myself if I feel like I have the knowledge or experience to do that, or I will send it out to someone who I think is better qualified to answer your question, which in this first question uh, came in about, you know, why did a a 5.5 by 14 snare drum size. Why did the five and a half inch depth become, quote unquote, the standard um, depth? So I, I had my, my theories on this, but it was all just based on hypotheticals. And I sent it over to Chris Carr at Bucks County Drums to get his input. So I'll let him answer this one. So it's Chris Carr taking over that one.
7: I had a question submitted to me from Mike Dawson at the Drum Factory Direct regarding five and a half by 14 snare drums. Why did that size become probably the most go-to size of all snare drums and i think it's a combination of a few things this is just my experience and my opinion to some degree and history of manufacturing Uh, when they started making concert size snare drums shallower snare drums they were narrow pieces of wood and uh, they were steam bent in most cases and the easiest way to do that is to make them pretty thin you had a lot of lugs, a lot of claws and casings holding these calf, you know, skin heads down. So over the years, you know, uh, the quality of these drums improved dramatically. We had better glue, we had die the implementation of die cast lugs they could make in different sizes consistently. Now, back then they were probably just as expensive to make as they are now. Um, you had uh, The invention of ply shells, they they got better and more consistent. The hoops got better and more consistent. The drum heads got better and more consistent. And I think as they were able to manufacture, and I'm talking about all the manufacturers, you know, over time, as they became more and more consistent, it was really apparent that that depth and that size, which is your, your basically your inner volume and the feel of the drum is, is almost perfect. You know, you can take a five and a half by 14 and you can tune it low and you can get a fat. You can take it and tune it high and you can tune a medium. So I think a combination of all those things, the feel and the sound uh, just makes it, you know, the ideal drum. And uh, that could be for orchestral, it could be for uh, jazz, it could be for rock and roll. So this is my two cents and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see y'all later on, take care. All
1: right, here's a good one that came from Ben. How do you use your influences without just imitating slash stealing? Tough question to answer because I feel like this for me is always a work in progress. But um, I did think a little bit about maybe what some other people had shared with me in the past and then kind of my own philosophy on it. Um, years ago, I when I was hanging with my friend Mark Juliana, this would have been shortly after he had left the Avishai Cohen group. So we were just hanging, and I asked him, because he and I both kind of came up loving those early Avishai Cohen records with Jeff Ballard on drums. And the conversation was, you know, how did you approach playing in that band and not just do a Jeff Ballard impression when you played that material? And his response um, was, you know, even though he absolutely loves those records and he spends so much time listening to them, he had to just put them away and like just never listen to them again. That way he could he could uh, he could approach the music from a slightly different perspective, not always referencing. Well, how did Jeff set up these figures and that kind of stuff. So that's one strategy: is just get the most of you. You know, listen to your favorite stuff for long enough, but as soon as you feel yourself going into an imitation mode, don't listen to that anymore. Put it somewhere else. Um, that was his, you know, his input that helped me a little bit when I was kind of stuck in a Steve Jordan, Matt Chamberlain mindset for many years, um, to just not listen to them for a while. I haven't listened to Steve Jordan in a long time. Um, but all that stuff is still kind of there. Certain things, the, the, the confidence and the deliberateness of, of the groove, I feel is always there from his influence. And with Matt, kind of the nuance and the slinkiness is always going to be there, but I'm not, um, I'm not trying to get my drums to sound like him anymore. You know, all that kind of stuff is, is, you know, I kind of put that on the back burner. Um, the other thing, which I think is a constant work in progress for me, is to not worry about it too much. You know, like, I don't think you'll ever sound like your influences as long as you're not deliberately trying to do an impression of them. And I have done a lot of, of session work where there were sound-alikes, like one in particular for university, they they wanted me to sound exactly like like they were going to do some, um, it was a guitar workshop class. So they wanted the guitarists to have tracks that sounded like Led Zeppelin, that sounded like the meters, that sounded like, you know, all these different things, chic. So my, you 2 So my task was to recreate those originals as best as I possibly could. Um, I found that super helpful because this is what I thought I knew about Larry Mullins Jr. And then when I went to actually try to replicate it, 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 I learned a lot, and I'm sure it absorbed into my plan a bit, but none of that actually made me feel like I was mimicking them when I got to playing music live, if that makes any sense. So I think not worrying about it too much, just enjoy what you enjoy, take what you love from your favorites, steal it, and then it will always sound like you in some way. At least that's what I hope. Um, I'm having a hard time at the moment with bebop vocabulary. Having it feel like it's not, I'm not just playing a character. Like I don't feel like I'm expressing myself with that Philly Joe Jones, you know, rudimental style vocabulary very well. Like it's always I'm putting on a a character. So what I'm doing to help myself with that is forget about all those licks and things that I've transcribed, and I have notebooks of Max Roach and Roy Haynes and Philly Joe and Elvin and Art Blakey, and I mean Joe Chambers and Mickey Roker and Jeff Watts. Notebooks filled with detailed transcriptions that I haven't touched in a decade. Um, now I'm going the opposite way, and just what can I do with triplets, <laughs> four bar four bar phrases? without falling into, oh, that's that Philly Joe lick, or that's that Max lick. What can I do with sticking combinations? You know, so all that stuff that I transcribed and practiced to and still play along the records, I feel like it's subconscious. But once I removed to like play that lick from that record, it was more like just play some triplets that go this way around the drums, or play some sixteenths that use mixtures of singles and doubles. It's helping me kind of find what I like that fits within that dialect. Um, that, like I said, I'm still exploring that one. So, I think just don't worry about it. Just be you. Um, love what you love. Take what you love. Um, just don't pretend to be someone else. This is a pretty funny, funny one here from Peyton. Why did you all, meaning Jump back Direct, choose a peppermint for our new logo? Why not a skittle with the DFD logo on it instead of an S? It's pretty funny uh, because we, when we were doing a separate, there's a separate website. I'm not supposed to talk about it because we're trying to see what happened, how organically it gets discovered. But there's another website that we've we've already launched and it's out there that we worked on a new logo for that we were doing the icon, like the little tiny thing that you would see in your search engine. Um, and it looked like a Skittle because it was a round colored orange object with an S on it. And it just looked like the Skittle logo, so we had to kind of tweak it a bit. Um, so why did we not? Why did we go with the peppermint? That was a, a, a long meetings of discussion of we want to redo this brand and what should it look like. Drummers Candy Store is the slogan, so that's where we went. Candy Store. It had to be nostalgic. It had to be classic. What's the most identifiable classic candy? A peppermint. That's how we landed on that one. And really, if you think about a Skittle, it's just a, a circle with a letter in it. It's not very identifiable, where if you see that swirl, it's got action. We can rotate it. We can have it you change, swap out the colors if we wanted to. It just felt like the right move. So that's why we cho- chose the Peppermint for the new Drum Factor Direct logo. All right, the last one here for the last question here. This one comes from winter.t87. What disappoints you in expensive snare drums or kits from well-known brands today? what disappoints me i I don't want to automatically go into negative mode i think you're you're you know i don't really get disappointed in expensive instruments because they're so at this point they're just so well made um and it's just a matter of do i like it does it give me anything does it give me anything emotional when i hit it or look at it or record it i mean so it sometimes i'm let down by like the coldness of some new things um i don't know what it is but something it just doesn't feel like there's any vibe to it so if there's one thing that i get let down or i could tell that an instrument's not for me it's like if there's just no vibe that i'm not getting any vibe from it right away and that's just an emotional response um, other than that i think just the biggest disappointment is the price. I think things are just really expensive, and I understand why, because it's not cheap to make these instruments, but especially when you get into high-end custom drum kits, it's it's like when I can buy a used car for the price of a drum kit, that's pretty tough when I can go and get a nice used kit over at Hawthorne or somewhere else um, for much less, or have one made to my own specs uh, from Bucks County for for significantly less um so the price point can be really frustrating other than that it's just a vibe if i'm just let down on, on just the the coldness of the experience all right we are at the end of the episode which means it's time for the warehouse pick of the week this week i wanted to feature some hardware that we got in this is the drum factor direct lightweight oh, you can see this without the camera going crazy it's lightweight, but it's also double braced. So it's got you know, double braced tripod, but it's really lightweight. This is a collapsible boom stand. We also have a straight cymbal stand. Those are both live on the site now. We also have some snare stands. I don't know if they're live on the site yet, but so we'll just focus on the, um, the cymbal stand. So these, these I've been using here in the studio. This is actually my ride cymbal stand from that kit right there. I've been using these for better part of a year um, different degrees of, you know, I'm, I'm constantly tweaking and adjusting. There's no marks on these yet. The tilter is holding strong. I don't use wing nuts, so that's why there's no wing nut on it. Um, yeah, this is the collapsible boom stand. It's been great. It's been, I mean, it's been a better part of a year, like I said, in the studio. Where I've been smashing drums, sometimes playing really lightly, sometimes really adjustable. And then there's a straight version of it over there and the hi-hat stand I've been using. These are just functional decent you know they're light but they're not flimsy um we and what's the price point here i've got it pulled up right here so you can get the you can get the straight stand for fifty dollars and twenty three cents you can get the collapsible boom stand for sixty dollars and three cents we'll probably package these together for some sort of promo but um, if you need something right now you can get them over there on DrumFactorDirect.com. Um, Yeah, it's good for home practice. It's good for home studios, Um, lightweight gigging. If you just need something to get in and out quickly, it's a good combination of being sturdy, but not backbreaking. So check it out. Lightweight double brace cymbal stand and lightweight double brace boom stand by Drum Factor Direct. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in each week. Your support does not go unnoticed. All the feedback has been much appreciated, both positive and there's been some criticism. I appreciate it. All is welcomed. You can always contact me at drumfactorydeck. Uh, no, you can always contact me at drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. You can shoot me a DM on Instagram at Mike Dawson Drums or at the Drum Factory Direct Instagram page. YouTube Messenger. Sometimes I'll see those, sometimes I don't, so you're better off on Instagram or email at drumcandypodcast.gmail.com If you do like the show, please give us a 5-star rating, write a review, share this with your drummer buddies. Again, I want everyone to check it out. This show is for you. Um, and on that note, I'm going to send us off with my own drumming. Anyway, see you next week.